you know, Lord, how are you going to show up and how am I going to walk out of here just in awe and I can set myself aside and make it all about him. And it becomes a lot easier, I think, to do ministry that way. Welcome to the Extraordinary Lives Podcast, where we talk about lives that go beyond the ordinary to the extraordinary, with the extra being Jesus. We'll be encouraged with amazing stories and helpful insights from the lives of ordinary people who have that extra, that supernatural difference that only Jesus can give. I'm your host, Ellen Bennett. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. I am so excited to welcome Ryan and Sarah Rosenbaum to the show. Ryan is the lead pastor at Seacoast Community Church in Encinitas. And Sarah, his wife, is very involved with the Community Resource Center in Encinitas. So we'll be hearing a little bit about that. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here with you, and I'm excited to talk to your listeners. This is fun. Great. I'm excited to hear your stories. Yeah, thank you for having us. (laughs) Well, let's get started just by finding out a little bit about you. So where did you grow up? Tell us a little bit about your families. I think I I was told I had to start first. (laughs) Both my parents were farmers in Minnesota, uh, dairy farmers. My dad joined the army, and so I grew up as an army brat, as they called. But my yeah, family of origin is still a lot of farmers there, um, or at least living in small towns. So my whole upbringing was really about family, kind of Midwest style, 23 cousins and aunts and uncles. And so for me, I think formative years that stability of family and people around was a huge part of who I was early on. So Great. How old were you when your dad went into the Army? Yeah, so I was born at Fort Benning, Georgia, so okay. he was already in and spent a few years uh, where he was out or doing just reserves. And so third grade, that was when we started moving again. So when I was in third grade, it was when we moved away from that stability of all the family around and kind of started the lifestyle of the military life, living on base and moving every few years. Okay, so we have to ask, where all have you lived and how did that affect you as a person? So many different people either love the challenge of moving and meeting people, for others it can be hard. How was that for you? Yeah, so I've lived in what Georgia, Minnesota. Uh, we're up in San Francisco area, St. Louis, and Seattle area. So that was the military life. Obviously, you get used to moving after a while, and so you learn to make friends quickly. It's easier when you're living on base because everyone is in the same boat. They know that you have to make friends quickly or you won't have any. Yeah. <laughs> but you have to know that they probably won't be there. If they're already there when you get there, they'll be gone before you are. Okay. So it's a a three-year rotation usually. How about you, Sarah? Well, I sort of had a very different upbringing than Ryan. I actually was born in Washington State. And so while Ryan's upbringing was son of farmers, moved all over military kid, I grew up in the same town my entire life. My dad was raised by my grandma, who is from Japan. She had met my grandfather during the Korean War and came over with him. My dad was actually born in France. But because it was post-World War II, my dad was raised by my grandma, single mom, and she 
didn't want them to act Japanese at all. So my dad was very not Japanese, but I grew up my childhood thinking it was normal to put soy sauce on spaghetti, to have both ham and sushi at Christmas. And so that was sort of a fun part of my upbringing. And then my mom was raised all over the world, actually. My grandfather on my mom's side was an executive at an oil company. So she went to high school in England and she lived in Dubai for a while and they just followed the oil. And she had a lot of money as a young person, whereas my dad did not. So they had very different upbringings kind of come together. And Ryan was the youngest, I was the oldest. Ryan had brothers, I had sisters. So that's pretty much my upbringing. I think in my family, what really got passed down to me was a love of reading and knowledge from my mom and then a very creative side, hands-on learning from my dad. And that's just sort of a fun piece of how I grew up. My parents were 20 years old when I was born. They had met in Denny's. Wow. Yes. And I lived in one home until I was four and then moved to another home about a mile away and lived there pretty much the rest of my time in Washington until I got married. But I am the oldest of three girls and I would say I had a good upbringing for the most part for a while and then my parents divorced and my mom went through a season of life where she really struggled with mm-hmm. alcoholism and depression. And so that was actually probably the most formative thing for me from preteens all the way through college was having a mom who really struggled and wasn't there. And so as the oldest daughter, child, I had a big burden growing up. I worked starting age 12. I felt very responsible for my sisters. And so I would say that childhood experience, I don't have a lot of memories of quote unquote playing. I did love science though, and I uh, cherished my microscope. (laughs) I loved exploring and I had a great pair of binoculars. So that was my childhood, but uh, yeah. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Mm -hmm. yeah. So how did you both come to know Jesus? How did that relationship begin? So when we were young, my parents did go to church with us. And I remember being about four or five years old and learning the story of Gideon from the Bible who had tested God using nature. And long story, just look it up. But I had come home from Sunday school that day and decided I was going to test God in the same way. If Mm -hmm. he could do it for Gideon, he could do it for me. And so I had knelt by the front window and asked God to make it snow. Just show me that you're there, God, that you're real. You can make it snow. And it was April in Washington in in the Seattle area. And I remember waking up the next morning and my mom was on the phone with a friend. This is so weird. This wasn't forecasted. And looked outside and there was snow falling outside the window. And I remember just, you know, that little girl heart just really feeling like God was speaking to me in that moment. And that was super important because my parents ended up leaving the church and then they did get a divorce. And there was a very long season there where I didn't have God in my life. I didn't have it modeled to me. And I think that 
moment really stuck with me as a seed that God had planted. And during that season I mentioned where my mom was really struggling, I think I was struggling a lot with just looking for purpose, looking for peace, and not finding it. And I had become a pretty jaded junior hire. And I remember going to my grandparents' bed and breakfast in Wyoming. It was the 4th of July, big fireworks display. Hmm. And when it finished, you could see the Milky Way. And very similar moment, God using nature. I just remember feeling like God was speaking to me and saying, man made these great fireworks, but look what I have made. And that was also important because I was feeling very lonely at that time in my life and to feel like God was sort of tugging at my heart. And so those two moments and then every science teacher that I had was a believer, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. And I was a science nerd. And I remember they were the ones who saw through my cynicism, my sarcasm, my tough exterior and would challenge me, would share their faith with me, would talk about the intricacies of nature and science and how they believed that only a God, a creative God could design those things. And so those were sort of the building blocks to that. And then when I was 17 actually is when I finally did give my life to the Lord. And again, I'm making a long story very Mm -hmm. short, but it was a series of Ryan actually moving to our town Mm. and sort of stirring up the Christians in our high school. And suddenly some of my best friends who I had no idea were believers started talking about their faith. And at that time I was in a season of joining every club I could possibly join in order to find fulfillment. And I joined Bible club because it was one I hadn't tried yet. Total interloper, totally didn't belong there. I mean, obviously I did, but um, I spent a few months going to that club and then went to a summer camp for Christian kids while not being a Christian. And that's where I gave my life to the Lord and where God used his creation again in the form of high school kids to really show the peace, the love, the purpose that comes from following him. And it just really struck me. And having the home life that I had, I was really craving that peace. And I saw it in those kids. Wow. Yeah. That's a great story. (laughs) Thanks. Sure. How about you, Ryan? Yeah, mine's pretty, I don't know if it's opposite, but different. Of Mm -hmm. course, I guess we all have our own stories. Being a Christian was a huge part of, I think, the family identity. But it was a Sunday morning thing. But all of our family on both sides, you know, it's something you, you do. You go on Sundays. And if you ask me stories from scripture, I probably can maybe remember a few. If you asked me what it meant to receive Jesus, I wouldn't be able to tell you. I remember at one point, I would think I was junior high, and I had my cousins were telling me something. I remember that conversation where I was like, wait, you just pray and you're forgiven? They were telling me, yes, that's how it works. And oh, yeah. I remember processing that like, okay, why wouldn't you do that? You yeah. know? For me, it was not until high school that I made a decision for Christ. So it was just back there. I, I believed. I, I didn't disbelieve. But there were definitely points along the way, similarly, where God was speaking to me or providing seeds for faith. Mm-hmm. You know, family was so important, even though we were moving around a lot. That was always the anchor. I spent every summer on the farm, working on the farm, which was a brilliant plan by my parents. <laughs> you know, my brother and I would go, and they were alone for two months a year. Like, how did they do that? <laughs> um, oh, we should have done that. I know. They were smart, yeah. 
And then, you know, in junior high, a couple family members, you know, my grandfather passed away one year and then my uncle died kind of in a tragic accident the next year. You're already in turmoil as living in a new place. And so we're used to moving, but you have that kind of breakdown of stability. And then I think the death of my uncle, that was when my grandmother said, I no longer believe in God. There's just no way. It was her second son. So my second uncle who had died. I wouldn't say I went through a time of questioning. It just was even more in the back burner. So fast forward, we were attending this church and my parents were wanting my brother and I to be more involved, but you know, why would we? (laughs) We have no need for this. And uh, my mom wanted me to go to this evangelistic youth outreach thing. It was a Friday and Saturday night. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, there is no way I'm going to a church thing on a Friday, Saturday. Like, why would I ever do that? So I said, no, my mom asked if I'd go and I said, no, (laughs) not interested. And a couple weeks later, there was a band coming in town that I liked. I was into music and playing, and and it was Motley Crue, which if you know them, they're not a Christian band. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It was the Dr. Feelgood tour. Um, (laughs) And so I remember asking my mom, I said, hey, I I want to go to this concert. And she said, well, you you can go, but you have to go to this youth group thing (laughs) in exchange. I know, right? (laughs) So, yeah, so I just made the deal, like, I'll go Saturday, but I'm not going Friday night. There's no way I'm doing two days in a row. And then, do I have to go Sunday, too? Are you kidding me? So that was what started, really, a year-long journey. I went to it. I went Saturday morning, so I missed the Friday thing. I've told people it was literally the first time, for me, that I ever saw teenagers. I walked in, and they were, it was packed, and they were singing and dancing and having fun. And that was the first thing, like, wait, what's wrong? Like, don't they know where they are? Why would you be doing this? Why would you have fun? Yes. Yeah. At a church function. (laughs) In my mind, I remember thinking I've never seen like a kid smile in church. Why would you? Church is not. There's no life here. Wow, that's something. Yeah. And it's very vivid of feeling. Sarah was into science and her binoculars and microscope. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I was just into whatever was the funnest thing in front of you and the action and and if that meant trouble well trouble is fun too so um, I think there's one country song said it's fun having fun (laughs) so (laughs) but it's interesting that God took that part of my personality and that's what he used to say like hey there's more to this faith it isn't a dead faith that is interesting yes yeah when I think through it I'm like does that sound really shallow that that's what stood out so for the next year I I went to a couple youth group things I didn't go to too many but every time I I thought they just do things different. I remember I went to some Christmas party. It was a scavenger hunt around town and everyone ended up dressing up like characters in the manger. And we just had such a fun time. And I think we ended the night at someone's house. There's probably like 25 of us and they watched the Jungle Book. And I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> what are these people? Like, yes. I mean, I, I had never even seen that because I don't watch those, kind, you know, right. maybe Die Hard or something. But, right. but that's a Christmas movie. It is a Christmas. Thank you. I do. It is classified as a Christmas movie. But those were the things along the way where I just thought there's something so deep about this faith for these teenagers that was bringing life outside, that they could experience life together. And there was just this joy that was that I didn't couldn't find with my friends. Yeah. So yeah, so it was about a year-long process of that okay. before I said, okay. I think I believed all along, but for me, it was if I'm going to be a Christian, then I'm in. And I'm not going to just say it. Great. So, yeah, so that was kind of the process. And it was about a year. And then I kind of said, I'm going to follow Jesus. So Okay. Yeah. Very cool. So how did you two meet? Do you want to tell it? And then I'll fill in with the truth. 
<laughs> or the flip of that, yeah. We met, we met in high school. Ryan moved to my town, Tacoma, Washington, when we were juniors in high school. And I remember a friend saying his name, oh, a new kid in my Spanish class, Ryan. And I remember this little ping. I wasn't a Christian, mind you, ping mm-hmm. in my mind that said, this guy's going to be important to you. And it might have even been, you're going to marry this guy. (laughs) Wow. But I, of course, squashed it down immediately. And once I met him, I definitely squashed it (laughs) down. Uh, Ryan and I are actually the exact opposite on every personality test. Mm -hmm. I'm an optimist. At the time, (laughs) I was looking for someone more like myself. Yes. And I thought serious and studious and you know, responsible, etc. And he was a Christian and I was not. And, but we did meet in high school. And again, when I first met him, I remember thinking he's not serious enough. He is a Christian and I'm not. I thought of myself as, you know, a total feminist. Not that they can be mutually exclusive, but I remember thinking, wow, this guy is confident in who he is and he has a joy and a peace. And I remember even though part of me really didn't like him, part of me was envious of him and really admired him. He was different from anyone else I knew. I'd really surrounded myself with kids either in weight training or AP bio, which is an interesting combo, Mm -hmm. but just having fun thing wasn't up my alley. But then I did become a Christian and started going to the same church as Ryan, and we became friends. He says we were friends. I didn't know we were friends (laughs) because we have different definitions. And then I went away to college and we had a mutual best friend, our friend Luke, who would come up to Seattle where I was going to school. Every once in a while, Ryan would come and Ryan actually started the process. He asked me out for milkshakes. And that's a very fun thing to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I literally had to go to our pastor to talk to him about this. (laughs) You know, not that I'm overly serious about everything, but I remember kind of being conflicted because I didn't like him, Mm -hmm. but I still had that memory of God kind of making me feel, at this point I had attributed that voice to God that I was going to marry him. So I thought I needed to say yes, if I was going to marry him, (laughs) I should date him. And I did say yes, and we did go out and it was very awkward and really the timing was terrible. And we ended up, breaking up uh, sophomore year of college. We only dated for a summer. Yeah, yeah. And he was a junior high pastor in Tacoma. I was a junior high pastor in Seattle, actually, at the time. And it worked out well because I had sort of started bending my time and my thinking around forcing this relationship. Interesting, yeah. Part of that is why it was difficult for me because I really loved that concept of being single and seeking after God only and pouring myself into ministry and not having that, you know, what Paul says, being divided. Yes. It was kind of amazing, actually, sorry, but when we broke up, it felt like my time in Seattle, I really focused on it again and grew in ministry and as a believer. And then I remember, though, telling God, okay, if you actually do want us to get married, 
you're going to have to make that work out. I'm not going to worry about it. I don't think this is the right time. And then we started hanging out again, and you can fill in the gaps from your end, but we started hanging out again to discuss ministry together. His junior high ministry, my junior high ministry. Well, she initiated that conversation. Uh, she's a good move, Yeah, Ryan. no, she's the one. <laughs> I initiated it, but I would like to say I had no ulterior motives. Nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he can think what he wants. That's right. And we had hung out a few times, and we were at my all-time favorite beach sunset ryan asked if he could kiss me and i said no why and that was when i realized he thought we were dating again Uh, and i didn't know that wow and then we had the dtr Mm -hmm. that defined the relationship and from that point on we were dating and Uh it was way more fun than the first time around the timing was better neither of us was trying to fit into any sort of a mold i think He didn't become a more serious version of himself, but I had matured and grown enough to know that his differences were actually healthy and good for me. That's good. And the things that really had always drawn me to him, which was his deep faith and his sense of humor and really his commitment to the Lord and even seeing him work with junior high kids, those things hadn't changed at all, but it was kind of the sillier things that no longer mattered to me. Got it. That's so, great. Yeah. yeah. And for the record, she said she matured. <laughs> but I didn't change. So apparently, still haven't <laughs> matured. But that's okay. Well, no, 25 years later, I'll say you've matured now. <laughs> and what's so funny is our definitions of what is mature, right? Mm-hmm. So stems from our own personalities and kind of who we are. So that's interesting in itself. Oh, yeah, well. definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got most of the story right. I think you got it. So Yeah. I mean, I do have to say that because of our upbringing, you know, I didn't grow up being playful, and he did. I wrestle even now with <laughs> I love that about him, and it's very hard to understand it because yes. I tend to fall on taking everything too seriously. Got it. So, but he's been very good for me. <laughs> yes, I love how God puts us together. Steve and I are very different, mm-hmm. and it's nice to be able to play on each other's strengths. We won't mention yeah. the weaknesses, yeah. but well, it's both, right? <laughs> right. For sure, it's totally both. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was part of when I moved to Fort Lewis, Washington. That's in Tacoma. I was just getting involved in my church. You know, just kind of a new Christian, just for the first time going to youth group, and then we moved. And I just remember thinking, that's terrible timing of just getting involved. And at least that season was just this act of faith and really called to reaching the lost. And so I moved to Washington and it was just this whole new thing for me. Or, I mean, I I felt like I was losing that whole foundation. But I started over up there and that's all anyone knew. You know, kind of this on fire faith and it kind of worked out. Didn't like the school much that we ended up in, Mm -hmm. but... um, So I shared my first impression of you. What was your first impression of me? (laughs) I have to say that, yeah. She can cut it if it's not good. (laughs) Yes, yes. I didn't meet you the whole year, I don't think. We didn't know each other my whole first year. And I mean, at that point, I was just into skiing and, you know, that kind of thing. So we met, I think you were running for class president, and I met you because the person she was running against was another person that I knew. But I, I just remember thinking, oh, she's one of those class president people. Got it. <laughs> Serious yes. and in yes. those secret classes that start with AP. Those <laughs> They never told kids like me about those classes. <laughs> 
Great. So she had a birthday party that summer. She worked at a really famous restaurant called McDonald's. And um, she hosted the parties there when they had a birthday party. But her friends organized it and she hosted it, but it ended up being her party. So they didn't say it was a birthday party. I didn't know it was for myself. Wow. So it was actually ingenious because I was on the clock (laughs) and I was hosting a birthday party for an anonymous child, but it was me. That is so funny. For an hour and a half, I was paid to (laughs) run my own 17th birthday party. <laughs> yeah, so I met her. I actually went to that because I was friends with her friends and thought, this is actually pretty fun. That is and, such a fun idea. Yeah, it was great. So from here, now I remember some story about the homeless. Yeah. And Sarah working with the homeless and you being a part of that somehow, or what is that story? So that's part of her story, but also part of how we got back together. Ah. So. So we had stopped dating and we're still kind of friends. So it was two years in between the first time we dated. And she was living up at University of Washington and doing some homeless ministry on what's called the Ave up there. So one of her interactions that night was with some, I guess, gang member type people. people. <laughs> kind of an interaction where they asked her for money and, and she said, well, what would you need it for? And, and ended up taking them out to dinner Jack, that night. Jack in the Box. To Jack in the Box. She had upgraded from McDonald's yes, by then. Yes. <laughs> I remember hearing that story and just how even through that, she then had this relationship with those when they'd see her out there, either working with the homeless or whatever, they knew her from that point on, and they were just so taken aback by this boldness of someone to say, well, what do you need my money for? Well, if you just need food, I'll go get you food. And uh-huh. So I, I knew that story, and I remember just hearing that and thinking that's the type of person I would love to be with. There was that, and then first time we dated, I got her into baseball, so it was yes. important. Yes. <laughs> And you played baseball. I just into high school. Yeah. Into high school. Yeah, and you are wearing a Seattle Mariners hat. I am today. Yeah, look at that. Right. Yes. And I'm not actually a Seattle Mariners fan oh. anymore, but she is. Okay. And yeah, I just coached the Mariners this year and it's okay, a fresh hat. That's yes. all. <laughs> He's Red Sox all the way. Okay. Yes. Hey, of course I knew that. Yes, but it's okay. Yeah. So anyway, I, I got her into baseball our first time we dated and then that senior year of college, I was at a Mariners game and I looked over and she was at the game with some other people. And I remember seeing her and then with that other story, I just thought, okay, she likes baseball. She has a heart for the Lord. So this bold faith. Okay. What I else gotta do go. you need? Yes. <laughs> I got a perfect woman. got to go find her. That's yeah. Great. And so that kind of re-sparked it. All right. I want to hear a little bit about your own family Mm -hmm. and then also really just some God stories in your Mm -hmm. life. And then eventually I'd love to get into also what you're doing now and what God is teaching you. So, So tell me a little bit about your own family. How long have you been married? So last September, we celebrated 25 years of marriage. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Lots of fun. We have (laughs) our oldest son, Isaac, who is up in L.A. right now, finishing at UCLA. Our middle son, Ian, who's at Miracosta. He's home. He's an avid fisherman. Tons Mm -hmm. of fun. He brings home lobster this time of year, which we love. And then our youngest son, Ben, he's a freshman in high school. At Santa Fe Christian, actually. Okay. And we have two golden retrievers <laughs> that shed a lot. Yes. And our family is very competitive, and we all love to cook. So we do a lot of that together. 
and I think we have a lot of fun together. Yeah. Usually. That's great. <laughs> yeah. That's great. And where are some places that you mm. like to travel? It seems like you like the great outdoors as well as baseball uh-huh. stadiums. Yeah. I think part of me is I like to always have new things. I think it's a little bit rooted in that military life where you're moving every three years. So I used to get very restless after three years anywhere. It's just like it's time for something new. So travel helps fulfill that. So we've been really all over the world. Uh, lived in Israel for a year as well. Right. So we love to travel. We're heading off to Thailand soon for our 25th wow. anniversary trip. I'd say our trips are active. So when we go somewhere, it's hiking, kayaking. Usually it's not lay on the beach. If it is, mm-hmm. it's 20 minutes. And then one of us gets really bored. <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually not me. You might think it's yes. me, but it's... Uh, Interesting. Yeah. She's the one. Sarah will get bored of laying at the beach. So our traveling's around activities and then food. So nice. we want to go places where there's great food. And we've done everything from like a cooking class in Turkey. And then sometimes there's archaeology and stuff. For my nerdy side of the Very history good. and stuff. Yeah. But also part of our vows were I promised Ryan to never make him live in a rainy place like Seattle again. <laughs> wow. And he promised that he would take me to green outdoors areas oh, yes. at least once a year. Yes. So good. we yes. have to work that in. <laughs> I like that. It's yeah. a good compromise. That's yes. right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me a few God stories. How have you seen God work in your life? What is the difference that Mm. Jesus has made? And any fun stories? You've already told us some, Mm -hmm. Sarah, which are really exciting to hear and just make that relationship with God real. Mm -hmm. Tell me more. It's so hard. There's so many. (laughs) So when I first became a Christian, I started reading from Genesis. And so... A lot of those beginning years were reading Old Testament, and I remember reading the story in Second Chronicles 20 about Jehoshaphat, and I think that was God to me for many years, was this concept of life can be overwhelming, this battle is huge, returning to you, God, and God coming back and saying, the battle's mine. I got this. And I remember in that story, Jehoshaphat sends the worshipers at the front of the army. And so early on, I was always looking for God to kind of come in these big Lord of the Rings (laughs) moments. And uh, so I did a lot with street ministry in college. And I could tell you so many stories of that feeling called to work on the street. I was always sort of looking for God to show up in these big ways. I'm going to tell you one big story that was incredibly formative in my life as a new Christian, and it actually moves into my work at Community Resource Center. So I had been a Christian for a year and had gone to Seattle for school and felt God calling me to work with people experiencing homelessness and people out on the streets. And for about three months, I remember feeling that pull and pushing back on it and feeling that pull some more and pushing back on it. And then one day I was walking on the streets of Seattle and I saw this big pile of blankets and stuff. And I kind of assumed there was a person under there. I kept walking. And then if any of you follow God and understand that concept of the Holy Spirit (laughs) getting major upper hand and just felt, I just turned around and walked back and sat down. 
and said, hi, I'm Sarah. Do you want a sandwich? And what followed was this conversation with this woman named Mary. And one of the first things out of her mouth was, do you go to church anywhere around here? Not because she wanted to know if I was a weird Christian. Mm -hmm. She literally went on to share with me how important it was to go to church. And I remember her telling me that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but that Christ came to give us life and life to the full. That was the perfect way really to start any sort of ministry was a big dose of humility (laughs) and perspective. And I felt like God had gotten me all ready to follow him and be obedient and do this ministry. And my first interaction was what this woman was giving to me, what I could learn from her. And I really took that the rest of those four years and beyond. You know, I feel like I go into most situations now. It's not that because I've been given something that I can share, but that I'm entering into something God's calling me to and and who knows what there is. And it's sort of fun. Is your mindset kind of, I'm going to enter into this and we'll see what God wants to do? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's not, what can I do? Mm -hmm. It's what is God going to do? How is he going to show up? I love that. I feel that every week, even teaching our rooted class at church, you know, Lord, how are you going to show up? And how am I going to walk out of here just in awe of who you are? And Mm -hmm. it's fun because... As an introvert, too, and an overthinker, I feel like it was God being gracious in allowing me to understand I can set myself aside and make it all about him. And it becomes a lot easier, I think, to do ministry that way. That's great. And I'm thinking, too, you've got an expectation. Hey, he's going to show up. He cares. Yeah. And then I guess the other story I would say is growing up the way I grew up, I remember Ryan one day asking, we were talking about my childhood and my sisters and I sort of fending for ourselves and we had a season of food insecurity and there is a season where my mom was in the hospital and Ryan asked, it wasn't even that long ago, Ryan Mm -hmm. asked, where were the helpers? Where were the grownups in your Mm -hmm. life during the season? Mm -hmm. And, you know, because it was me And it never occurred to me when I was a kid that someone else should have stepped in, even to support my mom in that time who was struggling and these three little girls. And because of that upbringing, I always felt a little bit like an outsider, I guess, sort of one of those marginalized people. And I have a very clear memory of being a kid and my mom leaving in the ambulance and she had tried to take her life. Mm. And <laughs> and I remember seeing neighbors looking out of their doors, but didn't come over with a casserole, you know, didn't check on us. They just kind of gossiped. Wow. And so because I always felt like I was that sort of outsider, I feel like I've always been drawn to people who might be labeled outsider, marginalized. Mm. Yeah. So widows, orphans, the elderly, those experiencing homelessness. So now at Community Resource Center, I started as a volunteer where I got to work with people who I identified with and cared deeply for. 
but now I manage the volunteer program and they pay me to do this. <laughs> and they pay me to work with hundreds of people who are the helpers. Wow. And I, I feel like, you know, it's just God's way of showing the little girl, Sarah, that there are people out there who care and put love into action. Mm -hmm. And something I love about our church is the Love Encinitas Initiative. And Ellen, you're one of these people mm -hmm. who works at the food pantry every week. And I'm just encouraged daily by these compassionate humans who come in and we're studying James at church right now, and they don't just say, go, be well, you know, <laughs> take care, but they actually clothe and feed and love in a tangible way. And that's sort of a, a redemption, I think, to the way I was brought up, and it's been a blessing. Wow. And that's amazing that you put that together, just mm -hmm. to process that through, to think about it that way. I can really see that. Yeah. And I do love that we're doing the Love at Sanitas at our church. Mm -hmm. It just is so important, right, for yeah. us to be able to be able to live out our faith and mm -hmm. to do what Jesus called us to do, to love others. Mm -hmm. He's loved us. We've got to reach out in love. And yeah. I've really enjoyed working at CRC. I mean, what a privilege mm -hmm. to be with these people who, are struggling and to just be that friendly face and pray for them as they're <laughs> walking through but it's been really good for me just to to get to know some of them and to see homelessness as actual people yeah you know as well yeah um, and people who are struggling yeah and sometimes they have some real issues that they're struggling through that are really tough maybe some things mentally mm -hmm. that are just really hard mm -hmm. and then others are really just down on their luck and are just so grateful mm -hmm. and what I love honestly is seeing Apple <laughs> and mm -hmm. Amy and Kathy and all those that work with the population who comes through because I just get so much out of watching their mm. love and compassion and it just is a great model for me. So, mm. well, so it's so been good. great. Yeah. So thank cool. you for, for mm. doing that. Sure. How about you? <laughs> yeah, I think there's so many little stories along the way. I've, I'd say one big one in our marriage that Sarah didn't share, but her sisters and her mom are following Jesus now and mm -hmm. strong in their faith. And wow. that wasn't the case when we got married. And, you know, you look at that and what seemed like a difference in the two families, you know, God's really worked in, in a lot of ways there. And that, that that's was, that's exciting. huge. Yeah, that's <laughs> huge. That's a, a big part of it. You know, in my current job as lead pastor, I get to teach. You get to times. share uh, God stories every week. That's well, right. I, I get to see them too in different ways. Tune in next week to hear some of those amazing, extraordinary stories. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. This is Ellen Bennett with the Extraordinary Lives podcast.